This podcast was recorded on Tuesday, December 18th at 11.30 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. Okay, so here we are in, in, the, uh, in the basement of Parliament, just down, under, just down the stairs from the chamber. Um, and this, uh, this office um, uh, was an MP's office in the early 1980s. And um, in, in those days, of course, there were no um, emails or text messages, and your memos would come in paper form uh, several times a day. And one day, a young female messenger was, let herself into this office with the master key and caught uh, one of the MPs having sex with his assistant. Speaker. This is just a place. It's a lovely room. It's a lovely place. It's filled with history and stories. But this is not the center of our democracy. More than just four walls, six floors, and a tower. It is the heart of our freedoms, the link between Canada's past and present, and between our fundamental values and the hard work of legislating and governing. Our political leaders have different takes on the significance of Centre Block, home of the current House of Commons. But both Ottawa boys, Tory leader Andrew Scheer and Prime Minister Justin Trudeau, readily admit the place is something special. Whether it was playing hide-and-seek in the stairways with my brothers as a kid, eating lunch with my dad in the parliamentary restaurant, or first taking my seat in the House of Commons ten years ago, Centre Block has a unique place in my heart. I used to go to Immaculata High School, which used to be on Bronson Avenue, uh, just around the corner. And I will admit that every once in a while, I used to cut class in the afternoon and come watch Question Period. As you can tell, I was one of the cool kids in my high school. Center Block has been home to our legislature since 1922, the previous one having burned down in 1916. It's arguably the most recognizable building in Canada, and soon it will be closed as it undergoes a decade or more of renovations. When MPs return from their Christmas break in January, they'll gather in a new chamber that was built in Parliament's West Block. But some of the traditions, like MPs singing our national anthem off-key, will continue in the new place. Others, such as the Daily Speaker's Parade, will be tweaked. Mr. Speaker, The grand original White Pine Library will be shuttered, and the memories of all who had the pleasure of soaking in Canadian history day in and day out of this beautiful building will start to fade. I'm Althea Raj, and this is Follow Up, a HuffPost Canada politics podcast. To end the year, we're taking you on a special tour of Centerblock to share our workspace, yep, it's ours too, with you. Get comfortable as we bring you some of our favorite Centerblock stories as told by the parliamentarians whose careers rose and fell within its chambers, the staff who served them, and the journalist who watched over it all. Let me set the scene. It's the end of November and parliamentarians and staff from governments past and present are mingling in center block. A ceremony is underway to mark its closing. A youth orchestra plays while former colleagues and rivals reminisce. I'm Joe Clark and I used to be a member of parliament. 
One of my very first memories here, and it had, a, I think, a profound effect on my uh, career, was that I came here uh, in 1956, a long time ago, as a rotary adventurer in citizenship. And uh, the country was gripped at that time by the great pipeline debate. I was standing outside the west door of the center block, a young kid known to nobody, uh, and uh, three or four people, walked, members of parliament, walked out. I remember Ellen Faircloud did, the first woman cabinet minister. And she came over and she said, hello, young man. And uh, after that, Davy Fulton, with whom I later had the privilege to work, came out and said hello to me. And I can't exaggerate the impact that had on me as someone who knew no one and whom no one would know when I came here. To be greeted that way, made welcome on part Canada's Parliament Hill by these people whom I'd seen at long distance and revered. Honestly, the last few weeks I've been, every time I have a moment, I've been walking around the building, almost every floor and every corner, and uh, absorbing it in, knowing that I don't know if I'll ever be in this building again. Uh, my name is Omar Al-Gabra. I'm the Member of Parliament for uh, Mississauga Centre and the Parliamentary Secretary for International Trade Diversification. What are some of your favorite memories from Center Block? Uh, you know, I haven't prepared for this question, but the first thing that sprang to mind was the 2000, I think it was 2008 apology uh, uh, for a residential school. The heartfelt apology uh, on behalf of the government, the, uh, the indigenous communities, their, their recognition and acknowledgement of that past was a very moving uh, moment for me. My name is Jean-Marc Caris. I've uh, been working in and around Parliament Hill since the mid-70s. And uh, I was, um, at one point, uh, I was official photographer for several prime ministers, including uh, Jean Chrétien, John Turner, and Pierre Elliott Trudeau. Can I ask you what it's like taking pictures in this building? It's pretty dark. So I'm, it must be like a very interesting, you know, for a photographer to, to play with light. Yes, uh, it could be a, a challenge as well, because uh, as you know, in, in, as a photographer, you you uh, want to be, of course, as discreet as possible. So you don't necessarily want to have uh, to shoot with flash at all times, because that'll be uh, distracting, and it could be, you may miss your favorite, uh, the best photos. Just be discreet and respectful. I think they go hand in hand. My name is Joan Bryden. I'm a reporter with the Canadian Press. I have worked on Parliament Hill as a reporter for almost 31 years. You know, I'll be retired, frankly, by the time it reopens. So I think this will be the last, uh, the last few weeks that I will be able to call this part of my workplace. I like, you know, I once did a story on um, some of the things in these built in the in center block that you don't see if you're a tourist. Like, they, it's not on the on the tour guide's list of things to point out to you. And among other things, it was like the fossils that you can see embedded in the walls, um, the stone carvers that put their own faces in over by the Senate foyer there with the 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 little uh, stone faces with goggles on, which I thought was really cute. Um, the secret chamber in the opposition leader's office that theory was that Mackenzie King had that put in there so that he could listen in <laughs> on, on people surreptitiously. 
um, and or escape people he didn't want to talk to by leaving out a back way and stuff like that. Um, I think that, well, and one of the stories I was told at that time was if you go along the balcony there overlooking the Hall of Honor on that side, on the south side, along the top over the balcony are little creatures, animals and so on carved into the stonework and there's a fawn lying down and it's missing an ear. And I was told that it was Pierre Trudeau who jumped up on the balustrade and grabbed that for balance, sort of showing off for some diplomats, and snapped off the ear, which he then supposedly, according to the story I heard, took it home and gave it to his kids. So I actually asked Justin Trudeau about this after he became prime minister, and he this was the first he'd ever heard of that story, and no, he had never seen the fawn's ear and had no idea what happened to it. <laughs> now I'm looking for the fawn with the broken ear. <laughs> Where is it? <laughs> so I'm Joanna Mescala, and I'm the curator for the House of Commons collection. Hello, this is uh, Kevin Bosch, Vice President uh, at uh, Hill and Knowlton Strategies. Long-time staffer on Parliament Hill, and, and today you're uh, your, your tour guide. <laughs> How did you develop this tour? Um, well, I, I just uh, I, I'm a big fan of history, sort of an amateur historian. And after years and years of uh, working on Parliament Hill, I would bring guests to tour around Parliament Hill, and um, then I just sort of started searching. Um, the various stories, the, um, I, I developed a bit of a scandal tour. I called it my Sex, Blood and Guts Tour of Parliament. Sex, Blood and Guts, yep. <laughs> and that's why we're headed down the Senate side right now because the, the uh, royal family has the best sex stories. So, <laughs> so welcome to the Senate. In, in the House of Commons, the, Senate, the, the ceiling is made of painted linen. Uh, here in the Senate, it's uh, gold leaf, actual, actual gold leaf. So, so they're, they're the upper house and they kind of uh, show it off a little bit. We, we, we get to this, this woman here. Uh, her name is Alexandrina, or as you may know her better, Queen Victoria. Uh, before I get into her, her uh, sex life, I should talk a bit about the portrait we have here. So this is the coronation painting for, um, for Queen Victoria. Um, I, would, I would guess maybe one of the most valuable paintings we have on Parliament Hill. First of all, it's an original painting, which with some, some of the other ones are, are, are recreations. Uh, second of all, um, I like to call it the cursed painting. The Queen Victoria portrait was actually installed in the old building and had to be cut out of its frame um, on the night of the fire so that they could get it out of the building. It wouldn't have fit with the frame. Um, I like it because it shows the young, vivacious, dare I say it, sex maniac, Queen Victoria. By all accounts, she is a bit of a sex maniac and I do include her own accounts on that. Uh, she was an avid diary writer from her youth. It's, it's part of the Royal Archives website. Uh, you can search, you can put in search terms like wedding night, for example, and you get uh, Victoria's description about how things went in the royal bedchamber. Uh, well, is, 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 is how, th how she think, thinks things went. Now, you might notice that the, on the painting, the, the dress is cut off on one side, the crown is cut off on the other side. Uh, it used to be a much larger painting, but every time they save it from fire, they're not going to bother trying to get the frame out the door. So they take a big knife and they cut it out of the frame, actually. And that's why you lose a bit of canvas every time you, you save the painting. So it survived not one, not two, not three, but four different fires. And so I said to the Curator of Parliament actually a couple of weeks ago, I said if there's not a knife taped to the back of that painting, uh, you, should, you should maybe tape one on there just in case. Fire broke out uh, on the evening of February 3rd and uh, it quickly spread throughout the entire 
building. And uh, by midnight that night, the tower had collapsed, the roofs had collapsed, seven people were killed, and uh, it was quite a tragedy. Speculation circulated that a spy had deliberately caused the blaze. A royal commission was set up. But the inquiry into the cause was inconclusive. When the building uh, succumbed to fire on the 3rd of February 1916, um, immediately they wanted to rebuild. So John Pearson, who was an architect based in Toronto, and Joseph Omer Marchand, who was an architect based in Montreal, were brought together. So the two of them uh, worked on the designs for the building. Joseph Omer Marchand ended up being Pearson's advisor, and Pearson was really the chief architect. So this building is really his vision. When this space opened in 1920, um, a lot of this carving wasn't here at all. It was just flat slabs of stone. And by design, Pearson um, envisioned a, a space full of those kind of flat slabs so that every successive generation could add to the building. And at the time that the Senate was, was rebuilt after the fire, the uh, Ottawa Senators hockey team was actually doing fairly well. They were actually, they actually won the Stanley Cup in 1920, for example. Uh, they haven't done that uh, lately. Um, and so the carvers of the, uh, of the Senate actually snuck the Ottawa Senators logo in here. And if you look under the clock face, there's a little maple leaf there. And in that maple leaf is a little O with three stripes in it. And that is the Ottawa Senators logo from the early 1920s. Right now, we are in Confederation Hall, which is also known as the Rotunda. Um, everyone calls it the Rotunda because it's a round room. And uh, as you can see, they have representations of all the provinces and territories uh, up above. This hall is supposed to symbolically represent Confederation. Uh, after we had the, um, uh, the big fire in 1916, 1917 was the 50th anniversary of Canada. And uh, we didn't have a building to celebrate in. And so the then Prime Minister of the day, Robert Borden, and the leader of the opposition, Wilfrid Laurier, got together and stood right here with their members of parliament and they erected one pillar, this one right here. Uh, and that was supposed to represent the confederate, confederated nature of Canada with all the provinces and territories coming up this beautiful fan vault and ending up on one single pillar. It's quite, quite beautiful actually. At the base of the main central column is uh, a rose compass and there are um, carvings of Poseidon and sea creatures, and then there's sort of a, a swirly bit of, uh, of green marble, and that's to represent the ocean. And the idea of the nautical themes really relates to this concept of the ship of state, that uh, no matter what, no matter how rocky times can be, we should be looking to government for order and for calm, even in the midst of uh, some troubling times. The nautical theme uh, runs actually throughout the building so the the floor in the chamber of the House of Commons is actually uh, was originally teak and ebony just like a ship and then um, the Prime Minister's office so the Prime Minister being the captain of the ship all of the decorations in that office are nautical in theme so there's seahorses and seashells and discoverers and um, and that flooring in that room as well is was also originally teak and Ebony. Okay, so here we are in the, in the House of Commons. Um, 
it's green because the, the commoners used to sit outside on the grass. So in the Senate, there's red, which uh, relates to royalty. In the House of Commons, the House of the Common People, uh, the green actually relates to sort of the lawn or the village square. Now, I can tell you one little fun story involving the House of Commons. So one day, Elmer McKay, so Peter McKay's father, was a member of Parliament, later a minister under uh, Brian Mulroney. And so he came to the, um, uh, his office and his secretary was standing out in the hallway. And he's like, well, what's going on? And she said, well, bats, uh, live bats had flown in the window. Elmer didn't care, he was a farmer. And so he went and grabbed two of the bats and put them in the pockets of his suit jacket and went down to the uh, House of Commons where they're having a vote. The Liberals all said aye, and the Conservatives all said nay, and um, Elmer let his bats go. And one of the bats came flying up, up into the visitor's gallery and uh, terrorizing people up there. And the other bat landed on the speaker's chair on the canopy. And um, the speaker at the time was Jeanne Sauvé, this you know, prim, proper, dignified French-Canadian woman who apparently swore like a lumberjack until someone came to, to remove the, the bat from her belfry. <laughs> I'll, I'll tell you the story of the mad bomber of, of Parliament Hill. Um, so in um, 1966, a guy named Paul Joseph Chevrier, he was uh, an Albertan like me, and uh, he, he didn't really have a political axe to grind, he was just sort of mad at life, and he'd sent a, uh, a note to the Speaker of the House of Commons asking whether he could address Parliament. Turns out he wanted to be declared the President of Canada. Um, and uh, I think the big mistake is they wrote back and they told him, no, only members of Parliament can address Parliament, and so uh, I just got him more angry, and he showed up here, uh, May 1966, with 10 sticks of dynamite in the shape of a pipe bomb, and he was sitting in the gallery, in the uh, in the House of Commons, and he got up to light his uh, light his bomb, um, in, in what was at the time a public washroom. It's still a washroom. It's still there, but now it's sort of in this more restricted area, just outside the Prime Minister's office and the Cabinet room door, and uh, he mistimed things, and rather than blowing up the House of Commons, he blew up the washroom shattering all the marble partitions, killing himself. Um, and had he made it back to the House of Commons, it was question period. And at the time, the Prime Minister of the day was there, Lester Pearson, leader of the opposition, John Diefenbaker, and this guy was sitting right above Tommy Douglas. So you can imagine how, how different history would have been if he'd been successful. So we're very lucky. I'll show you, I'll show you a fun little feature on the outside the leader of the opposition's doorway here. But look at this marble wall here. Actually, it's actually wood. So that's, that's painted wood made to look like marble. And they did a fantastic job. I mean, you look at it, I used to walk by this wall all the time, and it took me years to discover it wasn't actually, actually stone. Apparently, there are pictures of um, Mackenzie King's mother. That's right. So, 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 so in, he, in here, King had beautiful frescoes put around uh, the office. And they're, they're sort of images of knights at the round table. And so one of the, one of the images has a, um, an angel leading a knight. And he, he actually had the artist put the face of Isabel King, his mother, on there. It's quite lovely. Probably that has something to do with the fact that he wanted to stay there even when he was prime minister. He had, for him, it was a real special space. So you have to remember, at the time, his mother had just passed away, and then a little bit later, his sister passed away. So he was, it was sentimental, but it was also a way of kind of keeping her memory alive. No, the elevator's not working. This is the third floor. And this is Mike Duffy. The old Duff took us to some of the places that are definitely not on the tour. In the old, old, old days, the cabinet met in the East Block. Yes. 
In the FLQ crisis in 1970, the cabinet was meeting uh, in the East Block. Okay. And Mr. Trudeau said, this is crazy. We're here, and then we have to come here, and we ought to go to the House, and so on and so forth. So they moved the cabinet here. And so this is Mr. Trudeau's senior's cabinet room. I've never been in this room. Well, there you go. And so he sat there. Oh, wow, there is definitely one chair bigger than the other. That's right. <laughs> Yeah, so that's where he sat, and his cabinet ministers sat around here, and they took decisions on the War Measures Act, the imposition of the War Measures Act, and the media were outside in the hallway waiting for the cabinet meeting to end. The media used to line up down here, and Mr. Trudeau and other ministers would come out and walk down this way, and he'd be carrying his books. And one day he came out, and again it was a big mob, and Trudeau went to push his way through because literally uh, there was that bigger crowd and uh, Jimmy Munson said don't push me and they get into a little pushing match and of course that became the story of the day. So, so now, we're, now we're in the Hall of Honor here. This gives you a sort of a, a, a good, a good uh, vantage point to sort of walk through the, um, the events of, of October 22nd, the day we had the, uh, the gunmen come to the building. On October 22, 2014, a gunman shot and killed Canadian soldier Nathan Cirillo at the Canadian War Memorial. The gunman crossed the street to Parliament Hill, hijacked a car, and made his way into Centre Block. Uh, he came right to the, the, the door of Parliament, and it has a glass door there. And it's one of those ambiguous doors, you never know whether to push it or pull it. And uh, he was pushing on it, and that gave the, um, the unarmed guard at the door, uh, Constable Samarin's son, uh, enough time to notice that the guy had a, had a, had a rifle. So he radioed his colleagues, gun, gun, gun. And then the gunman opened the door and Constable Sun grabbed the barrel of the rifle and pushed it down and the gunman fired. And so Constable Sun uh, uh, literally took a bullet for all of us in, in, in Parliament that day. It was over in 14 seconds from the first shot to the last. One parliamentary guard was wounded in the foot and the gunman was shot dead. The gunman came into the building and was running down the Hall of Honor uh, towards the library. I think the security forces were deliberately pushing him back towards the, um, the library because they knew that had he gone down either one of the side hallways, one room contained the entire New Democrat caucus, the other room right across from it contained uh, the government caucus, all the Conservative MPs, the cabinet, the Prime Minister. Um, so he ended up, he ended up uh, just outside the archway of the, um, of the Library of Parliament. Uh, the Library of Parliament has automatic doors and the doors were actually opening during the um, during the uh, the, uh, the, uh, the shooting, and uh, some bullets even even hit the circulation desk in, in the uh, in the library. So Curtis Barrett was was pinning down uh, uh, the gunman uh, and sort of exposing himself to, to danger. And then Kevin Vickers, who was in charge of uh, security for the building, he's a sergeant of arms. He has a lofty title and a and a fancy hat and a sword, uh, but he he actually is in charge of security. And so he went back to his office and got his uh, got his sidearm came around the wall and dove around the corner and put the final shots into the gunman. And I say final shots because there were, apparently in the autopsy showed there were 31 bullets in the gunman.
we're approaching the library, so you can actually physically see the difference between the two buildings. So what remains of the old library, this is uh, sandstone, and then the inside of the new building, this is limestone. So you can see how different the stone is. The limestone is from Manitoba, and it's this beautiful stone that has lots and lots of fossils inside it, so whether plants or animals. That's why it has all those beautiful kind of colors. There's a richness to it, and it's uh, it's a stone that's that's warm, but also it's not very easy to carve because the more you kind of dig at it, the more some of that stuff really falls away. But one of the hallmarks of it is that you end up with this beautiful kind of very deep relief that you see in some of the archways. Uh, the quarry is still open, which is a good thing. Uh, it's just outside of Winnipeg. So at least the, at least the quarry is open so we can continue to get our, our stone. Historically, the Library of Parliament was really the first library of the country, the first national library before the National Library of Canada was founded. The, the library actually is a separate building that is joined here by this small tunnel. And so when they had the fire in 1916, someone very smartly closed these doors. And they're made of iron. Uh, they're heavy and they're metal, even though they're painted to look like wood, they're actually iron. And so that prevented the fire and the stone walls of the building from getting here into the library itself. And this is really the jewel of the Parliament buildings. I, I consider it the most beautiful room in Canada. Um, it's all hand-carved white pine on the walls. Not all their books are here, but the library has over uh, 600,000 books in their collection. And it's all framed around this statue of Queen Victoria. Um, and that's, uh, that's a solid marble statue. And so if you had a marble statue like that on a floor like this, it would crash through it in a matter of uh, weeks. And so there's, there's a pillar that goes all the way down to the bedrock, some 80 feet down below, and that supports uh, the, the statue. The library is actually is deeper than it is high, and it's, it's a pretty high building. Um, there's one room down there, there's the rare book preservation room, where they, where they keep some of their, their, their older manuscripts and treasures. Um, the one book is probably the most valuable one, is, uh, it's called Birds of America. It's a large uh, portfolio. Uh, they call it an elephant, uh, elephant, um, elephant portfolio. And it's, um, it's uh, drawings of, uh, of all the bird species in, in, in America and it's hand-colored, and it's done by uh, John James Audubon, him of the Audubon Society. So if you were to Google most valuable printed book in the world, invariably this one would come up. Uh, the last time it one sold at auction, it sold for uh, $14 million Canadian. And I'm told our, our copy is even more valuable because it's his copy. We actually bought it off his widow. And around the corner here, and in that little alcove, people would gather to test marijuana, and this one including, here. including some famous people, including uh, at least one member of the Chamber of Silver Second Thought. Not me. <laughs> <laughs> Not that I was pure, but smoking anything makes my nose run. Okay. Okay, so here we are in, in, the, uh, in the basement of Parliament, just down, just down the stairs from the chamber. Um, and this, uh, this office um, uh, was an MP's office in the early 1980s. And um, 
in those days, of course, there were no um, emails or text messages, and your memos would come in paper form uh, several times a day. And one day, a young female messenger was let herself into this office with the master key and caught uh, one of the MPs having sex with his assistant. And the messenger had enough good sense to leave and start walking and then running down the hallway. And, uh, and the reason um, she was running is because the Member of Parliament uh, came out after her. Um, and uh, so, uh, so eventually, um, she got away and eventually the MP returned to his office. But in the meantime, his paramour was probably a little bit uh, embarrassed and had uh, left the office, locking the door behind her. These doors, if you don't deliberately unlock them, they stay, they stay locked, right? So, uh, so the MP gets back and he, what does he do, right? He's got to go find a guard to, to let him into the, the office here. And he's butt naked. And he's butt naked, exactly. And um, so I, I first heard the story because the guards would tell and retell the story. They love it, of course. And um, I want to do some research to make sure it's a true story before I would tell it on my tours. And, and I, I found some newspaper articles. So first of all, it's a true story. Second of all, I love the sense of humor of his constituents because that, that member of parliament was actually the deputy speaker of the Commons at the time. And his constituents circulated a petition to change his title from deputy uh, speaker to deputy streaker. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> So I'll take you right down to the bottom level, 80 feet below ground. Wow! Yeah, and, that, and that's where they have like the workshops and the um, uh, the carpentry shops and whatnot. They do they do all the all the all the storage. And this is the bottom floor of the Library of Parliament here. So, so way down below where they where they have the uh, precious books. Really are like that's in cool. the bowels I, of I the know, building. I know. We're deep down below. Yeah. Alpha Flight, have you ever heard of Alpha Flight? They're, they're a, uh, a comic troupe that's in the Marvel Universe, the Canadian heroes. That's them with Trudeau here, that's Sasquatch and Aurora and uh, Puck. Well, according to the comics, they are, um, their headquarters is in the sub-basement of Parliament, right? Right, where, right above where we are right now. So. Yeah. A big, big thank you to Kevin Bosch, a vice president with Hill and Knowlton and a longtime Liberal staffer, as well as Joanna Mizgala, the House of Commons' curator, and Senator, former journalist, former newsman, Mike Duffy. And that's a wrap for follow-up this year. We'll be back in February when Parliament returns to work. The follow-up is produced by myself and politics reporter Zian Lam. Our amazing technical producer is Stephanie Warner. Andre Lau is our executive producer. I'm Althea Raj. Have a wonderful start to 2019. Warmest wishes from all of us here in Ottawa. <laughs>